This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We live in a different world. The day of days. Yes, it's, it's only a different what world. It's been saying this week. The day of days. Oh, David, I feel like a changed man. Really? I feel amazing. You look amazing. Everything is possible. It is. Yeah. I feel like I've just been trapped this overnight Rod. in an who elevator. In, who inhabited your body? I feel this like isn't I, Rod speaking. I feel like I've just been trapped overnight in an elevator with Susie Orman and Tony Robbins, but in a good way. Yeah. Life will never be the same. Yeah. Leicester City. Mm-hmm. Leicester City. Yeah. Leicester City, David. Yeah. Transformed us all. Yeah. Did you know that they were 5,001 to win the Premier League? <laughs> Did you know that just over a year ago, they were bottom of the league, Rod? Did you realise that just seven years ago, they were in League One, the third tier of English football? After I'm a... so sick of talking about oh, it. But Dave, after 132 years of being barren, yeah. they've become fertile. Yeah, <laughs> like the biblical Sarah birthing Isaac at age yeah. ninety-one, now, which I always Rogers thought was an impossibility when I was a kid. Yeah, five thousand to one. Uh-huh. For comparison, David, mm-hmm. the US, yeah, they were a hundred to one to win the last World Cup. Yeah, the odds are actually smaller than five thousand to one on me being asked to pose nude whilst delicately cupping my breasts on the front cover of Rolling Stone. Huh. Four thousand nine hundred ninety-nine to one. Interesting. Yep, but I can't couldn't sleep last night, David. Because my nipples were tingling, so <laughs> I, can we just talk a little bit about? It? You've been working out. You've been losing some weight, no. Rog. No. And the place that you know, often people no. say that when you've been losing weight, you lose it in your face. Yeah. Do you know where you've lost a lot of weight? Gone. Your head. Yeah, I, t- I flew your head. Notion to my wife last night. I went home and I said, Dave, said I've lost my head fat. <laughs> you've lost your head she fat. She said, You've never. That's the one place on your body you've never had a lot of fat. <laughs> Because there are lines forming on your head now. I've never seen those lines before. I can see the outline of your enormous brain. <laughs> oh, oh. I don't know what it is, but I've not felt this good. Well, since, quick shameless plug, since last week. Why do you feel so good? Well, I was Rob. back in Liverpool. Yeah. And I spent the morning with Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. This is the quick segue slash shameless plug. Yeah. I made a film with him, which is going to run on NBCSN. Is it a Premier League download? Monday night, May 9th. Oh, good. Thank God. I got a hug from Jurgen Klopp, David. That's amazing. How do you feel? Uh, It was like crawling back into the womb. It was what I imagined it would feel like. Did you have to take your shirt off like Adam Lallana? I didn't have one on in the first place. (laughs) But being hugged by Jurgen Klopp, that is how Leicester's winners made me feel, David. I mean, we got to dive right in. We got to have a special pod. We have got to revel. We have got to just like a pig in the mire in two days of ecstatic football, which covered, I mean, to me, every human emotion, David, Mm -hmm. fear, hope, Mm -hmm. vulnerability, exhaustion, Mm -hmm. fight or flight, anger, weakness, self-destruction, impulse, despair, death, glory. And that was just the refereeing performances. Yeah, very, very true. I certainly like the violence, Rog. I enjoyed that. Okay, so it's going to be a special pod today, Rog, on which we'll celebrate Leicester City's momentous, seismic, dare we say, unbelievable Premier League title. This is what we're going to do. First, we give this weekend's games the DVR treatment, hopping in the George Michael sports machine. Fuchikow! And travelling back in time to relive every kick of the Foxes' duel at Manchester United and Spurs' spiky, no-holds-barred derby at Chelsea. (laughs) Then we're going to sift through the empty lager cans and Walker's crisps packets, under which 
we assume Arlo White is currently buried, and get his strictly professional take on his hometown's historic achievement. And finally, we ask how the hell we got here and where we go now. Okay, Rog, to the football. Crack open the Guinness. To toast. To victory. I thought you said to toast. I could get behind that. David. Yeah. To victory. Yeah. An astonishing miracle of a campaign. Yeah. And to Guinness. Uh Uh-huh. Which is what I imagine Shinji Okazaki sweats for taste of this morning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Very, very true. Okay, we're now between 35 and 36, 38 of the way through the Premier League season. The scriptwriters have delivered an iconoclast tale sure to claim a place in the annals of history alongside the Odyssey, the collective works of Shakespeare and the Bible. I don't know why they didn't let it go to the final week, though, Rog. The final chapter began Sunday at Old Trafford, Rog. The Foxes entered the Theatre of Dreams with the chance to clinch the title sans still-suspended striker Jamie Vardy. But just eight minutes after the game kicked off, that child, Anthony Martial, gave United the lead, steering a Tony V cross coolly past Kasper Schmeichel. But with their lip bloodied, the Foxes hit back in the 17th minute. Centre-back, middle linebacker Wes Morgan headed home a drinky free kick to equalise. Several chances, some dodgy refereeing and a Danny Drinkwater red card later. The game ended Man United 1, Leicester 1. Claudio Ranieri's men moved a step closer to the finish line, but still hadn't crossed it. <sighs> Davo, what a start to Sunday morning. I can't remember feeling as excited pre-game in a long long time and that that's not just the Everton fan in me talking David mm-hmm. I mean we have seen a transformation mm-hmm. over the course of the past 35 weeks Leicester Leicester which I believe has got the same population as Wichita Kansas Wichita yeah it's become the center of the sporting world how would you describe it's a dull plodding fading industrial city but suddenly it was just a wash with foreign journalists all following the scent of a miraculous story. Well, I'd say it's, it's a place I applied to to go to university but never bothered to visit. <laughs> That's sort of how I would sum up Leicester. There was no point in going. It was my safety school. Oh, David. I mean, it's also the story of a club known as a lightweight also ran, bouncing between the top and the second tier, missed by few when they were down in the championship, feared by no one when they were up in the Premier League. And before this game, they were poised to win it all. I mean, Leicester couldn't have been a more dramatic setting, headed into 20 times English champions Manchester United's Theatre of Dreams. Yes. Knowing that a win would seal their first title. I've got to say, in truth, no matter what team you support, apart from Spurs, perhaps, that pre-game excitement, it was everything that was good about sport. Yeah. It was also nice and nostalgic to look forward to a Manchester United game that much. But all that setup, all that buzz, and the game began in the most shocking fashion of all. Yeah, Manchester United scored, Rog. Tony V down the right, crosses the ball in, goes to Martial, eighth minute, whap! He takes on Kasper Schmeichel at the near post. Oh, but Anthony Martial, a killjoy, a child who finishes like a man, his 15th goal of the season, Davo. He has become United's season-long safety net. And what was stunning about the goal, apart from the fact that it suddenly looked like this game was being played in the Alex Ferguson era, Mm. with United looking in control and the overmatched Leicester desperate to try and hold on, was it in 2016, in this run-in, Dave, one of the things I found most fascinating about Leicester's play is just how few defensive mishaps they'd had. Mm -hmm. They'd had so few poor clearances, no blown set-piece coverage, 
shaky back passes were not present. All the stuff that is part and parcel of following a Premier League team. Yeah. And then in this, Especially the biggest Chelsea. game of all, the ball went in. It yeah. felt like we'd all woken up from an amazing dream. Yeah, and there was the a moment time. that you just thought, okay, here is where it all starts to unravel, Rog. It, it, but it didn't. Because Leicester, I mean, you speak to boxers, Dave. A couple of them have said, when you're in a fight, you actually need to be punched in the head, mm. like you were this weekend, yeah. before you get into the fight, before you really lock in and yeah. focus. And Leicester, I mean, it wasn't until that goal went in that they seemed to relax. Other yeah. teams would have wilted under this pressure. But Leicester just went and found a way almost instantly to get themselves back into this one from the set piece. Yeah, just nine minutes later, Drinky with the set piece. Rog, Drinky. I mean, Drinky. It's been the emergence of Drinky, Rog, this season. He knocks the ball in. A deft chip. And Wes Morgan. Channeled Alex Morgan. Amazing. Wes Morgan. Jamaica's Wes Morgan uh, heads it in. United. Power. Clearly. Didn't look at any game feel whatsoever. What was odd about nah, this to me? Point? Fellini, their best aerial defender, unable to help because he's stranded in the wall. Yeah. And he left Morgan to be marked nominally by Rojo. What a bloke Morgan is. I mean, he's the captain. He's a man who's played every minute of this season. Mm-hmm. Played for Jamaica in the Gold Cup and the Copa before the season began. And he's still giving it all. At Tim Seaman tweeted, Hollywood will probably find a way to have Tom Cruise play Wes Morgan in the Leicester City movie. Yeah. Won't they? Well, he's got that kind of range, Rog. Oh, Leicester City fans celebrated the goal by chanting, we are staying up, we are staying up. And the game became a little spiky. House to house, hand to hand fighting. Robert Huth and Marouan Fellaini. Yeah, they went at each other. Germany versus Belgium, Rog. I believe it was the burning of Louvain. In 1914, that the uh, terrible German atrocity in the First World War, and uh, seemed as though Marouane Fellaini was looking for some revenge for that. He's never forgotten. Yeah, that's his motto. Two of the Premier League's greatest penalty area miscreants. Yeah, Fellaini uh, was asked by the BBC recently about his growing reputation uh, as a thrower of elbows, aka a Premier League thug. He said, "I don't want to elbow someone. I yeah. just." Have to defend myself. Yes, yeah, self-defensive elbows. Rog, amazing though. The FA have never sanctioned him for any of his elbow work. I know you used to enjoy it as an Everton fan. Yeah, it's different work. when he's wearing red, mate. Yeah, yeah very, very different. Um, but it, he's never been sanctioned before. He might be now. It got weirder, much weirder. Louis van Gaal, after the game, tried to justify it. They yeah. were very, very interested yeah. in his context for his excuse. Yeah, well, he said that it's a natural reaction. It, it took me a few times to actually understand what he's saying. Is if you get your hair pulled, is what he said. Every human being who is grabbed with the hair. Grabbed with the hair. Exactly. It's the way you say it in Holland. Grabbed with the hair. His natural reaction is you're going you're gonna to elbow someone in the head. Yep. And it's like, it's only in, it's only in masochistic sex. So I believe he said sex masochismo. Yep. Um, Which I think is Dutch for zonal marking. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that you wouldn't do that. To which he then said that he's tried that a couple of times. Yep. Probably with Marwan <laughs> Fellini. And also being elbowed. Or maybe Robert Hooth. I'm beginning to believe that Louis van Gaal is just saying this stuff, the horny football stuff. Yeah, he's he's following Mac- the script. He's just saying it for our benefit and our yeah. benefit alone. But someone out there, please send us the fan fiction of Robert Hooth and Marwan Fellini, or Marwan Fellani, mm-hmm. as Louis van Gaal insists on calling him. I'd love to get some fan fiction of their sadomasochistic post-match gymnastics. It'll be almost as good as shot caller, Davo. Something that was a little lost in the Leicester triumphal coronation talk, Davo. United needed this game so badly. Yeah, they need the win. 
in order to go and have a chance of making it into the top four, uh, holding off West Ham coming up behind them. And they push forward out of need. Rooney excellent in the middle of the field. Couldn't summon the final pass. Leicester did what Leicester do. They soaked up the pressure, tried to counter Kante hard charging as ever. By the way, he must be hands down the coolest mini owner in the world, pound for pound right now. Mm-hmm. But without Jamie Vardy's pace up front, the threat was lesser, the nerves became more. And the whole game, it was breathless, it was frenzied, slightly lacking in quality. It was very English Premier League fair, NHL playoff ice hockey. There were a slew of refereeing decisions and non-decisions that dominated the post-mortem of the game. There was Danny Simpson and Lingard falling over each other on the break. Mares kicked over by an ever more desperate Rojo in the box. And then at the end, Davo, Memphis and Drinkwater. Yeah, Memphis released by Ander Herrera on the left side of the penalty area. Seemed to be so clearly in the penalty area when he was brought down uh, by Danny Drinkwater. Second yellow, you know, uh, the ref got that one right. Plus the Vardy finger jab. Yeah, but uh, he gave the foul, he gave the free kick outside the area, no penalty. Yeah, I mean, it was an odd refereeing decision. Yeah. But these refs, they're on a hiding to nothing. They're kind of damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. If they give the big decisions... They get ripped apart by the commentators for undermining the game. Mm-hmm. If they don't give them, they seem weak. And Michael Oliver here did what human nature would suggest you would do. Split the decision, give the red, bottle the penalty. And the real question to me watching the past couple of weeks, David, where it's been referees week in, week out. Yeah. Who'd want to be a referee? No, no. In the era of slow motion replay of 17 to 20 cameras in each stadium for the big games, there's just no way. They're never going to be as good. By the way, even with the benefit of slow motion replay, so often the pundits get it wrong even then. I'm just offside decisions again and again and again. They'll watch the replay and say, oh, yes, clearly offside. But the tape operator has complete freedom on when to freeze the moment and put the line in. And often it's done ages after the ball is released or, or, or frames before it is released. And so... Who would do it? I have no idea. Well, I actually looked up a study from the early 2000s this morning, a psychoanalytical study that was done in England so I could understand it a little bit better. And they profiled referees and decided that their psychological makeup was anal retentive control freak, prone to childish sulking fits if they don't get their own way and who become worse the more attention they get. Yeah, absolutely, Rod. So once again, Leicester had to tough out the closing minutes with 10 men. At Jeff Mack tweeted, Recycling plot lines this close to the finale? What are the Premier League writers thinking? An entire bandwagon's collective sphincter went vice tight, but the final whistle Dave out some kind of release. Although I was moved to the extent to which Leicester's players and Claudio Ranieri just appeared emotionally exhausted at the final whistle. Yeah, well, it wasn't done yet. It was not done yet. And, you know, this is... In this season of stories, in that 5,000 to 1 story, I actually don't think that Tottenham had reached 5,000 to 1 to win the league even at this point at the end of that uh, game on Sunday. So they weren't going to celebrate too early, Rush. What has amazed me watching Leicester over the last three months, not just their organisation and their spirit, but their energy physically and most importantly emotionally. At the final whistle, you glimpse for a minute the extent to which their nerves, the pressure, the enormity of the mountain that they climbed and their awareness of that enormity was beginning to show. I mean, they had to go again in their minds against Everton and Chelsea. They had to pick up that mantle one more time. Part of me thought, 
if it went to the last two games, there was a chance Leicester could just run out of emotional fuel, David. Yeah. And wilt at the last when I watched those post-match interviews. Despite that, I was really shocked how graceful Claudio Ranieri was post-match. He joked about possibly missing the Spurs game because he wanted to fly back from Italy after lunching with his 96-year-old mum. Yeah, for a birthday. If it was a Mourinho-Ferguson title race, David... Oh, they would have been going at each other. Psyop-level mind games. Oh, my God. And one of the things that has been the hallmark of this chase, Ranieri and Pochettino, unbelievably respectful. And so we had to go again, David. Monday, Wood, Spurs drop any points and hand the title to Leicester City while they're on the couch. Yeah, fast forward to Monday, Rog. Nothing short of a win at Chelsea would keep Spurs' title hopes alive. The first half saw Mauricio Pochettino and co. take a commanding 2-0 lead behind a series of surgical moves capped off by Harry Kane and Hyungmin Sun. After a series of skirmishes in the half-time break, Chelsea defender Gary Cahill pulled one back in the 58th minute and in the 83rd minute, old-school Eden Hazard Reappeared, Remember Rog, him? knifing his way through the Spurs defence. I thought he was dead. Before a sublime finish that saw the game end. Chelsea 2, Spurs 2 and dashed Tottenham's title hopes once and for all. I don't think any paragraph could ever do justice to that game of football. What a terrific matchup between two London rivals. I know not everybody, the British papers today are full of stories decrying the violence and the loss of control, but I have to admit, I quite enjoyed it. Fantastic. It was fantastic More, to please, watch. sir. Let yes. them fight. Yes. Let them fight. Oh, Tottenham's titled hopes were dashed in this game, yep. but we should leap back one week because it followed a debilitating tie oh. against West Brom yep. the Monday before, mm. a game in which we learned as if we had to learn this lesson. If you give Tony Poulis a straight-up choice between his own success or making others fail, He'll always choose the latter. Your kind of person, Rog. <laughs> Your kind of person. So it came to this. Tottenham had to win at Chelsea, a ground they'd not won at in. 28 games in all competitions. That spans 26 years. To give that some reality for you, Paul Abdul's opposites attract was number one yeah. last time that happened. Here, they had to face a team with whom they've had a friction-strife rivalry, an enmity rooted in the 1960s, when Spurs were a flash-stylish team, Chelsea were better known as a club that developed young talent. They were the West Ham of the 60s. Yeah. Spurs beat Chelsea in the 1967 FA Cup final with a team that featured Jimmy Greaves and Terry Venables, two English stars who'd come through the Chelsea youth system. A 2-0 defeat at White Hart Lane in 1975, which doomed Chelsea to relegation, has never truly been forgotten. I've got to tell you, mm. I always find these long-simmering hatreds fascinating. Yeah, there aren't many people in the stadium who remember any of that either, Rod. Never mind the stadium, but yeah. I find it almost impossible to believe that, say, William was going around the <laughs> locker room pre-game in his underpants just yeah. screaming, let's get revenge for the 1967 FA Cup final, lads! Yeah, it seems unlikely. Irrespective, Davo. I find it almost impossible to believe. You've got to say, Stamford Bridge was at its spiky, full-throated, hostile best. And Chelsea, after a impotent, damp squib of a season, they took on the role of spoilers with such relish. Yeah, I mean, look, there is a Stamford Bridge is two different places. There's Stamford Bridge in the afternoon of a weekend, and there's Stamford Bridge 
Weeknights. Oh, you've just, it's Weeknights like, it's like is Dustin, a different Dustin, it's like place. Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie. It's a different, different place, Rog. It's like restaurants that you know you don't want to go there on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thursday night, it really kicks off. Stanford Bridge is good on a weeknight. There is some great atmosphere in that ground. There's something about that place at night that really, really works. They made themselves believe the Chelsea fans they had an extra motivation. Well, for Claudio Ranieri. To be fair. Do it for Claudio, one banner right. red. We remember, of course, that Claudio Ranieri was run out of Chelsea, the tinker man. He spent four seasons at that club. Four seasons. Not many Chelsea managers have lasted four seasons in memory. Um, (laughs) And he took them to second place, which at the time was the highest they'd been in about 50 years. And played very attractive football with the team. But it is fantastic that in victory, we kind of play with our own historic memory and the yeah. Chelsea faithful lauded a manager they'd laughed out of Stamford Bridge. Mourinho yeah. once decreed he'd never win anything, Claudio Ranieri. Yeah. Suddenly, on this night, Davo, he was one of our own. Yeah, without a doubt. And it wasn't just that radical transformation. There was one more. Chelsea have probably never had so many good, right-minded people cheering for them. Tuning in to see if Leicester could win it, Davo. Win it without kicking a football. And we should take a minute, Davo, before we get into the game and marvel at the brilliant creative, simultaneous sideshow that happened alongside the game. Jamie Vardy literally had a party. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, he had a party in his house in Melton Mowbray, uh, Rog. I love my favourite part of this is that fans gathered outside his house as though they were visiting a great shrine, a religious temple of some sort. <laughs> a pilgrimage. There, there, there are people. Jamie Vardy is having a party. We must gather outside. And await for news <laughs> yeah, from whence. So wonderful. Oh, but before we knew all this, because social media only broke after the final whistle. Yeah. We just knew they were all meeting together. We knew they were congregating together. And my mind ran crazy. Yeah. What could a Jamie Vardy party look like, Davo? I, mm. pu- I imagine something truly hedonistic given yeah. Leicester's track record. Tigers. Yeah. I imagine the party scene in 10 Things I Hate About You. Or to yeah. be more accurate, I actually pictured shirtless waiters yeah. wearing only black posing pouches uh-huh. and bow ties. Handing he out, might have had them. Handing out Jaeger bombs. Yeah. Instructing... All those that entered to drop their car keys into a bull mark. Surprise! Uh-huh. When they arrived as a string quartet played Coldplay and U2 songs. And throughout the game, my mind just kept wandering back to the party and the mood there <laughs> fluctuating goal by goal, elbow by elbow. Yeah. But back to the game. Yeah. Because I had a feeling Spurs were doomed. The second the players marched out the tunnel. Yeah, they didn't look that happy. No, they looked like petulant teens who had to go and visit an aged grandmother that they really hated. Yeah, it looked like they'd read the script already and it didn't go well. And Chelsea started very brightly. Chelsea had a they bunch of possession. They were up for it. They had fire in their belly. Challengers but, flew in. Yeah. Feet were left in. Little yeah. afters always given. Yeah, the, and the, 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 the pundits, they were giving uh, referee Mark Clattenburg a lot of credit for letting the boys play. Keeping his cards in his pocket. Giving Carl Walker a talking to, which I'm sure Carl Walker really listened to about, <laughs> keep calm, Kyle. You know, just, I know you've had a couple of bad challenges. Keep calm, it's all going to be okay. What are okay. you implying? Because I have always thought Carl Walker is possibly one of the great moral philosophers in <laughs> yeah, the game. Yeah, very true. This game is far more of a psychological and physical battle than it was a tactical one. I mean, there yeah. was a bit of football, but there was a ton of eye gouging, savage challenges, fisticuffs, brawling. Yeah. Times it was harder to look at. Than those Heineken, you can call me soccer commercials. Yeah. You can call me chockered. Yeah. But every elbow that flew in and led the commentators to remark, I think the Football Association's disciplinary commission is going to look at that post game. Yeah, I know. I'm so tired of the Football Association's disciplinary commission, uh, Rog. 
some of the stuff going on in the penalty area, we already talked about Fellaini and Huth in the Man United-Leicester match. Some of the stuff going on in the penalty area, I do think, is beyond actually what can get picked up in slow motion replay. The refs can see this going on. Only God and himself And gradually, during this judge. season, they have allowed so much physical play in the penalty area. Fine, if they're always going to allow it, fine. Let both teams go and play it that way. But they've surely got to get consistent so that we know what we're meant to be looking for. We were watching the game together. Yeah. And you just suddenly launched into this whole tirade. What does the FA Disciplinary Commission room look like? Yeah. <laughs> you had a great mental picture. Yeah, I'm sure. Dusty it's... cobwebs, a couch yeah. still covered in plastic. Yeah, an old man with Coke bottle glasses. He might have video cassettes, but he probably just looks at stills or maybe drawings. It's definitely a top loading to Betamax him. machine he uses. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. He smells of mothballs. Yes. Are Actington Stanley still in the uh, <laughs> still in the first division? Uh, no, sir, it's it's the Premier League and Actington Stanley are the, the Premier League? What is what the is Premier this League? Nonsense. Pre- Premier what? Premier? What kind of a word is that? Is it a French league all of a sudden? Well, if this esteemed gentleman did his work properly, Spurs would only have seven or eight players available to play the rest of the season. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because first Spurs surge into the lead. Yeah, they surge into the lead and doing what Spurs do so well. They move the ball so quickly, Rog, and so accurately. And despite all of Chelsea's fire, they were just powerless to defend those attackers, midfielders (sighs) moving between the lines at will. And it was Lamella, Rog, Lamella again, finding himself between that line. Sends a pass through to Harry Kane. It was a thing of beauty, Rod. It's the kind of goal someone who spent a lot of time fencing with an Epe would score. Yeah, very true. Oh, and then I just suddenly thought, what had that goal done to the mood at Jamie Vardy's party? Yeah. Imagine that feeling when you walk into a bar and someone puts Hootie and the Bluefish on the, on the jukebox and the whole yeah. room just suddenly becomes chilled. Kane's goal... It's the footballing equivalent of someone pissing in the punch, mate. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. We're, we're, we're going to take Everton at home on, on, at the weekend. It's, it's Everton, all right. Lads. It's all right. It's only Everton. I'm back, lads. Yeah, I'm back. I'm going to be back. back. Complete silence. Yeah, chat, the- get banged. Chat, get banged. Yeah, but Drinky's out. Drinky's yeah, out. Drinky's out. Yeah. Oh, and then Son doubled the score. Yeah. He uh, gets released down the right and a fantastic finish uh, past Begovic at the near post. Brilliant finish. Curling finish. And Chelsea go 2-0 down. It's the same old Chelsea, Rog, slow at the back. Suddenly looking like a side full of players you used to fear, like Ivanovic, Terry, Pedro, Costa and Matic. giveaway for that goal, All of whom have been defanged, aged out or self-combusted during the season. The tackles continue to fly in at the cusp of half-time. Vertonghen trying to take out Costa. I had to remind myself, this was Spurs we were watching. Spurs trying to bully the bully. In the first half, with no apparent fear, the kind of fear that Arsenal perpetually show whenever they play Chelsea. And just before half-time, Dembele and Costa, they just went at it. Can we just rewind a little there? Because I think Tottenham made a huge mistake. They're 2-0 up. They've got Chelsea clearly frustrated. The last thing you really want to go and do then is motivate them even more. And it was a Danny Rose challenge on Willian. And then the two faced up to each other. And the whole thing went off. That, to me, was the propelling key moment that changed that game. And you know what? Possibly, possibly changed the entire season at that point. I'm not sure that... Spurs lost control, Rog. They lost control. I'm not sure they did. I've watched the footage many, many times. And I'm convinced that Diego Costa's cheat leaped out and attacked innocent Dembele's (laughs) fingernails. There are several journalists working on that angle, Rog, I'm sure. There was a fantastic moment. If you've not seen it, it was a horrible, horrible footballing moment Dembele legitimately legitimately scratched Diego Costa in the cheek yeah and yet Diego Costa is so conditioned to play act 
when there's a merest whiff <laughs> of contact that he grabbed the wrong side of his face and yeah. howled in pain. Yeah. But the second half... It went through his cheek all the way to the <laughs> other cheek, Rog. That's how deep the scratch was. The second half, ever more a blood and thunder affair. And I turned to David. I said, you know what? A goal could change this game. Yeah. And a second later. Yeah. The most Chelsea-ish, uh, certainly a peak 2015-2016 goal. Corner kick from Willian. It goes into the box. A mess ensues and Gary Cahill uh, knocks it in with his left. I thought a miss hit. You thought I a thought perfectly strike. I thought a fantastic strike. finish. Yeah. I couldn't believe how much space he had in the box. I believe he saw the Spurs defenders on the line and intentionally curled the ball home with a plomb. He's a defender that has long shown a touch of nuance in the yeah. opponent's box that he yeah. often lacks in his own. See, so when you say intentionally curled, I immediately think, oh, miss hit, it's Gary Cahill. <laughs> Immediately think that. Irrespective, the one thing we both agree on, the mood at the Vardy party. Oh, my God, it's starting to lift. <sighs> starting to lift the a little, The old-time honky-tonk piano started to yeah. play again. <laughs> yeah. Robert Hoof's homemade onion dip was passed yeah. around. Marcin Vasilevsky yeah. scratched his head as his yeah. signature Borada souffle found no takers. Yeah. And Spurs began to sag deeper yeah. and deeper and deeper. And it was yeah. only the fact... The gorillagram had arrived at the door. <laughs> that, everybody loved that. And Spurs began to sag deeper and deeper and deeper. And it was only the fact that the Diego Costa and Eden Hazard appeared rusty and unsyncopated as a partnership that held the resurgent Chelsea But they were still putting in those challenges, Rog. Eric Dyer scythed down Eden Hazard. It was an ugly challenge. Uh, and just a few minutes later, finally... Costa uh, and Hazard found their the groove as if was... they used a time-travelling bong. Yeah, but it was Oscar who started the move. He dispossessed Kane. It was... Chelsea's goal of the season, Rog, without any doubt. It was Leicester City's goal of the season. It was that good. Uh, Oscar tackled Harry Kane in in mid-flow. A fantastic, fantastic tackle. Uh, Sets up Hazard. He starts the move, sent it into Costa, finishes the move. First time finish. I mean, where where on earth has that been, Rog? I don't know, Dave. All I know is that Eden Hazard ended the longest pre-season in Premier League football history. Hmm. And Leicester City fans will celebrate Eden like Mexican fans. Revere Graham Zussi and Costa Rican fans adore Jonathan Bornstein. 40,000 Chelsea fans react in the only logical way they could by bellowing in unison, your 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 over and over, Dave. And for a Tottenham Hotspur perspective, this was the most shocking end to a pursuit since Scatman Carruthers got axed by Jack Nicholson in The yeah, Shining. Yeah, very, very similar to that. And then chanting Leicester, 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 Leicester. And <sighs> Ranieri chants, all of it came out from the Chelsea fans. The only way to describe this whole emotional swing, David, and the emotional trauma of dash false hope for Spurs fans, accumulative dash false hope that's built up since 1961, is that it was all, Dave, all of it was just so, 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 so. Spursy. Yeah, and it was at the hands. I mean, it would have been worse if it was at the hands of Arsenal, but at the hands of a of a London rival. Oh, to have it at the hands of the bastard Roos Bolton. It made it all the more painful. But the game continued to unravel. Lamella stomped on Seth's hand. Diego Costa grabbed Kyle Walker's face. Yeah. Dyer unleashed a string of howling, terrible fouls. At the last, the distraught, confused young warrior crumbling under the psychic woe of ultimate defeat. He knew his army's lines had been broken and the battle was about to be lost. Arlo 
couldn't mm. work out who'd been booked and who was just in the vicinity of the referee as the benches kept clearing. No one had the clue what the hell was going on. But it was fantastic, Davey. Yeah. At Football1420 summed it up best when he tweeted, it's a Republican debate out there right now. Yeah, it was fantastic. Tottenham became the first team in Premier League history to have nine players booked in one game. Yeah. Miracle that it ended with 11 on 11. They could have sent off Dyer, Dembele, Lamella, Walker, Walker, Sesk and Costa. All of them could have gone, David. Yeah. At Paul Humphrey USA tweeted us, I'm hearing Tarantino has optioned Clattenburg's match report, <laughs> although he's concerned about the language yeah. and the violence. And the great journalist at Tony Barrett Times summed up what you said at the beginning. He said, everyone will pretend to be disgusted by this but we'll all secretly think it's great. Yeah, and then there was a big bench-clearing brawl at the final whistle. Rog uh, Pochettino involved. Hitting falls down the stairs. Michael Vorm, the substitute goalkeeper, going at Costa. That's his best performance of the season. Yeah, amazing Cesc scenes. Fabregas slapped a couple of Spurs players, triggering the bench-clearer. I mean, it was, it was also surreal, Dave. A game that was a draw that felt like a tragic loss. A game in which Chelsea celebrated with a bullion joy at the final whistle, even though for them it was a dead rubber. And their fans chanted the name of another team over and over again with a giddy delight over the final 10 minutes of the match. My mind, obviously, Dave, it went right back to Jamie Vardy's party. Yeah. I imagined the beer-sweating Shinji Okazaki quietly throwing up into a potted plant in the corner of the room. Mm. The moment Laramie Tunsil walked through the door and bellowed, Who wants the party? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that Jeremy Fanning suggested Kante will be working hard as ever, cooking appetizers, serving drinks simultaneously. Mm. At James Graham P, at the final whistle, believe that Danny Drinkwater and Wes Morgan broke out the limbo stick. Mm. But my mental images were then shattered because NBC started to broadcast real scenes from the actual Vardy party yeah, in Leicester. Yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't exactly what we wanted to see. It was a bit of a sausage fest. Yeah. Looked like the worst singles bar in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mm. But all I can say is, and you should look at them online, Jamie Vardy, he loves big candles. He loves a large candle. From his decor, I guess he shops a lot at Pier them? 1. Yeah, yeah, he loves Pier 1 imports. What can we say about Tottenham, David? Yeah. Because the past two weeks apart, I'll say this, they've had an amazing season, yeah. which I'm guessing was beyond their dreams. Uh, yeah. they, they played some of the most sumptuous football of the season. They've got a great core of talent. Reports Pochettino has verbally agreed to a two-year extension to his current deal is massive news if true. Look, I think Tottenham have been fantastic this season. And I think Chelsea fans, many of whom seem to think that preventing them from winning a possible title is akin to winning a trophy themselves. That's rubbish. They've been way behind Tottenham this season. Tottenham have played beautiful football and they've won a lot of admirers. And I'd say, look, I do think they lost control, but I think that it was natural. And I think fantastic and laudable that this game was played with so much passion. And um, I like seeing professional football being that heated. I thought John Terry, of all people, John Terry after the game was a voice of reason on this. Uh, I sort of suggested he perhaps should be considered to be the vice president of discipline at the FA. He said, listen, it's boiled over. Let's not get silly and start banning people. They've got two important games left. We've got a couple of games left. The ref handled it well. He was sensible at times. So let's not let the FA go running off and suspending people for two or three games. It's a London derby. And you know, the fans want to see it. And he's absolutely right. Oh, Pochettino, also noble in defeat, congratulating Leicester, declaring it was a good lesson for us. We're the youngest squad in the league. We feel very proud and our supporters need to feel proud too. We've got massive potential for the future. I mean, Spurs season has been remarkable, but the last two weeks we were waiting for Leicester 
to collapse under the pressure. But it was Spurs who wilted. They'd taken the lead against both West Brom and then Chelsea relinquished them both. A psychological feat which makes Leicester's grinding glory and consistency all the more of a marvel. And I wonder, can Pochettino take the pain of this season and use it as a lesson? Sports is littered with teams who've come close and had their manager try and remind them that the loss should be a motivation for the next season. It's going to be harder, Dave. It's going to be so much harder to repeat next season. Well, uh, and also, before we get to next season, let's not forget that there are still two games to go this season. They're sitting just three points above Arsenal in third place. Tottenham do not want to blow this second-place finish and usher in another St. Totteringham's day. Yeah, I'd say that is the dark scenario, a nightmare Arsenal taking them at the last for what would be not just a St. Totteringham's Day, but the most humiliating one of all. Enough darkness, Davo. We're going to break down Leicester's season in more detail. But before we do, we need to go to Leicester. We need to bring Leicester to America and sample now that the smoke is cleared. Now that he's woken up, Davo, to a brand new world, a world of glory. Yeah. Let's welcome Arlo White onto the pod and hear it straight from the poetic ginger Horse's mouth. Arlo White! I, I, we can't, Hello, Jops. We can't oh. believe you're still standing, never mind talking. How yeah. did you celebrate last night, Arlo? Everywhere around Stamford Bridge was closing by the time that we left the, the stadium. But when you've got Graham Lasso's face with you, uh, doors tend to open. So we, had, uh, we shared a bottle of wine with the production team as well as we decompressed in this Italian restaurant just around the corner on the King's Road from Stamford Bridge. And then I'm, I was in a car on the M1, so I, I didn't go to Leicester, unfortunately. By the time we passed Leicester, it was about one in the morning. Uh, by the time my head hit the pillow, it was about four. Um, all very surreal. I had this incredible experience this morning of waking up at 11 a.m. and not, not remembering what had happened and then having... The, the memory come back into my mind and what, at Leicester City and the Premier League champions. It what, was quite bizarre. What was it that you remember? Do you remember getting to Jamie Vardy's party late when it was all in full <laughs> swing and then you, you climbed onto the roof of Jamie Vardy's pool house, stripped down to your boxers, yeah. wrap your pants around your head, <laughs> scream cannonball and just yeah. jump right in. We've got the pictures. <laughs> I can remember being outside at Vardy's house. I was ringing the bell, and, and then it all goes a bit hazy. So if you've got any video evidence of that, yeah, I'd like to see it. So take us back, though, Arlo. Obviously, you're commentating on the big game at Stamford Bridge, mm-hmm. the game that ultimately yeah. decided the title. At that moment, Chelsea get back to 2-2. I mean, mm-hmm. did it occur to you the moment the ball was in the air, curling towards the left-hand post, inside the left-hand post? Yeah that that was the moment that Leicester were going to win the Premier League. At what point did it hit? Yes. I think the first thing I said after Hazard, you know, shot hit the back of the net, let go a bit of a scream and then, and then said, is that the goal that wins Leicester City the title? Now, for the most of the second half at that point, because I've been asked an awful lot about, w- would I write anything, you know, to, to deliver in the event of Leicester winning the title? And I did something. I had something prepared at Old Trafford. And I didn't last night, for whatever reason. I just wanted to, I wanted to see how this whole thing played out. But I did, when Graham was making a couple of comments after the goal, I started to think about things and did just scribble down a couple of words that I wanted to say at the end. They um, think it's because all it, over. at that moment, it, it, it just felt very real that it was, it was imminent. When you got off the mic yesterday, when the game mm. had had its final, what was the first call that you made? My dad. 
um, on the way home. I didn't really make any calls inside the stadium. But your dad? <laughs> your remarkable dad. Every time you've complained about your job, he said to you, it's not exactly coal mining. You shared this. Exactly. Moment. We've always said that football is about fathers and sons. It's about mothers and daughters. Give us a sense of what you said to your dad about this this miracle. He was absolutely made up for himself, for, for me, for my brother, for all of his friends. That He's been following every second of it. I'll tell you just a little thing that, that occurred to me this morning. I actually had the um, displeasure, I suppose, um, of going to a friend, a school friend's funeral uh, during the season. And it was somebody that I'd lost touch with, uh, sadly, down the years, going moving to America, etc. This whole experience has brought me back together with so many people from my past, from school, from old, you know, youth football playing days. We're all in, in touch on Facebook. We're planning, you know, events over the summer and get-togethers and all this sort of thing. It's fabulous. But there was a guy called Mark Sturgis, a uh, six-foot-seven giant of a guy, but, you know, a heart of gold and a cuddly giant. And he got cancer 16 months ago, and he fought it with, with everything that he had, but, but he lost the battle in about February. Uh, and I was there at his funeral, and my old school pals were there. And the first thing I saw when I walked into the chapel was was a wreath in the shape of a, a shirt, blue flowers with number nine and Vardy on the back, and that almost set me going. And his son, uh, 11 years old, stood up at a lectern and addressed the, the, the people there. And he said, I'm going to miss my dad every day, but the, the biggest time I'm going to miss him is when Leicester City win the Premier League and there wasn't a dry in the house. And for, for this brave young 11-year-old who is going to miss his dad so much to, to stand up and speak to the crowd with such eloquence and serenity almost, but to, but to say that he brought it home to me, that Mark didn't live long enough to see Leicester win the title, and so many people didn't live long enough to see Leicester win the title. So that we have to enjoy every second. And I just, I just thought about my mate Mark, my school pal, no longer with us, whose son will have missed his dad so much yesterday. But I'm sure he was delighted that Leicester finally sealed this thing after, after so many years. But it just it brings back all those sort of emotions and, and connections you've had and shared experiences all down the years. So it's been a quite phenomenal 24 hours. And I can only imagine, thinking about that 11-year-old, all of the 11-year-olds, all of the 10-year-olds, the 7-year-olds, who forever now, for generations, will know the names Schmeichel, Simpson, Morgan, <laughs> Fuchs, Mares, Drinkwater, Kante, Albrighton, Okazaki and Vardy. Beautiful Vardy oh, to Andy them. King. I mean, you've taken your children today. You, you felt the urge. You got out of bed. Tell us mm. what you did with your daughters. Well, um... <laughs> I didn't, uh, as I said, I, I got up late, so I didn't get to see them off to school. My, my wife went in last night to, to Emily. We've got twin daughters who are eight. Um, I've indoctrinated them completely since they were born. Um, so they're, you know, <laughs> they're, I wouldn't say they're obsessed with it, but they've really got, got into it with the title chase as it's, as it's unfolded. And Lizzie went into Emily's bedroom last night and just whispered in, in her ear as she was asleep, Lester have won the league, and apparently Emily just put a big smile. It didn't open her eyes, but had a big smile on her face. And the first thing she said this morning when she came downstairs to my wife, Lizzie, was, Mummy, I had this amazing dream that Leicester won the Premier League. <laughs> and Lizzie said, it wasn't a dream, it was me, I told you. You know, you were half awake, I told you that. Um, so I thought, I, I, need to, uh, I need to pick them up from school and we need to go to, uh, to Leicester. Um, and that's what we've done tonight. And it was just car horns beeping, people embracing each other, smiles, laughter, 
just joy. And I've just taken this lovely picture of them as well, which we a frame on, on, our, on, our, on a wall in our house, of them doing a Laverne and Shirley leap. <laughs> There's the Laverne and Shirley of Leicester, a leap in front of the Kim Power Stadium. And that, that moment has just been encapsulated. And, and I just will never forget oh. you know, spending time with them and my wife outside the Kim Power Stadium. I've got this mental phenomenal. picture of you with your daughters on a flatbed Toyota truck just firing a Kalashnikov <laughs> machine gun into the air. <laughs> That's every night in Leicester. Roger, every night in Leicester. Leicester. That's how they roll. (laughs) I emailed with you last night. You were about to go to sleep, 3.30 a.m. English time. And I I emailed you. I said, Arlo, nothing you could ever dream of for the rest of your life could be better than what you've lived this season for real. What is the emotional high point that you will take with it? I feel like there's a little bit of a weight lifted because... You know, I, you know how seriously I take my, my job and my role and being objective. And I think I've managed to do that job and I'm, I take satisfaction in that. Just the, the sense that without going into all the detail that I moved to Seattle four or five years ago, 2010, and saying goodbye to England, was saying goodbye to friends, family, saying goodbye to Leicester City Football Club and their trials and tribulations for a new life. And as the, as the fates would have it, I arrived back home like some sort of, you know, footballing boomerang or broadcasting boomerang. I ended up back at home. But even then, during the Premier League, Leicester City were in the championship, so it didn't really matter. And then for the planets to align in this way uh, and me be front and centre uh, for, for the American audience uh, doing a job that I love with this story happening and unfolding in front of me, I just found it the most incredible experience. I'm, I count myself as so fortunate, so lucky to be given the opportunity to do it and then to be here just at this moment in time because it will never happen again. It, it, it really, could this ha- I mean, surely not. Uh, and so will it never happen again for the first time, will it? Certainly. So it's just been incredible. Uh, and and it just the, the whole emotion and even how drawn out it's been over the course of months. But to see this thing happen has just been uh, absolutely astonishing. It's been a... It's been a pleasure to call it for, for the American audience who have, who have embraced the story as well. Question for you from a listener at Cam Osborne. Arlo, who'd win, the 95 Bulls or Leicester City? <laughs> <laughs> Le- Leicester City with a Jamie Vardy buzzer beater. And I think even Scotty Pippin would agree with that. Arlo, last yeah. question. You're not allowed to say unbelievable. The world knows that because if it's unbelievable, it couldn't have happened. But what we've witnessed over the past 36 games. What we've witnessed over the past season and a half for Leicester City, mm. it was mm. unbelievable though, wasn't it? <laughs> I might even say on Sunday, who knows, or Saturday, sorry, who knows. Since the bones of a long dead king, the last king of England, killed in battle, were discovered under a parking lot in Leicester and reinterred into Leicester Cathedral, Leicester City Football Club, who were seven points adrift at the start of April of safety, rooted to the bottom, 149 nights, or 140 nights at the bottom that season. Since then, I think it's 45 or 46 games, they've lost four to Arsenal twice, to Chelsea in their title run-in last year, and to Liverpool on Boxing Day. And they're now the Premier League champions. We will never witness a turnaround, a comeback, a story like this ever again in football and it is to be celebrated for eternity it is extraordinary and it's just been a delight to be a part of it yeah personally i'm looking forward 
to the guard of honor that the former champions are going to give to the current <laughs> champions at Stamford Bridge. I think that's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, game at Stamford Bridge on the final day of the season, Arlo. And we look forward yeah. to giving you a guard of honor yourself when we next see you. you yeah. Not just Leicester City have had a season to remember. You have too. And on behalf of the thousands and thousands of American viewers who witness the Premier League highs and lows through your eyes and your tonsils on a weekly basis, we're incredibly grateful. Enjoy every single second for you, with your father, with your daughters. I mean, it is magic. It is unbelievable. Say it, Arlo. Rise up. Defy. We encourage you. America stands with Arlo White. What Leicester City have achieved in this Barclays Premier League season is nothing short of unbelievable. It was great sharing a, a glass with you um, at the Golden Blazer event and meeting the GFOPs afterwards. And I, I thank you. And I really appreciate your kind words. Thanks, champs. Some Thanks, more, Arlo. Some more courage. Oh, Rog, happy for him. I'm happy for him, Davo. His Leicester, we can now reveal. Yes, Arlo White supports Leicester City. Oh. Will now conclude the season with guards of honour in their remaining games against Everton and Chelsea. Yeah. Oh, boys. Which makes it seem ever more suspicious that we're the Premier League scriptwriters, David. <laughs> yeah. We've got to ask ourselves a couple of the bigger questions, the more macro ones, like, how the hell have they done it? This tiny Leicester team yeah. of journeymen, rejects, late bloomers. Mm. How they destroyed the field over the course of what is a 38-game marathon? How? Can I tell you something interesting? Bill Simmons said to me last night, that's a bizarre sort of American sports perspective on this, is he noted how short the Premier League season is. We think of it as being a marathon, but to many American sports fans, used to a very long regular season outside the NFL, of course, 38 games seems plausible. And he said he just thinks any team in a 20-team league being 5,000 to 1 seems to be extraordinary odds in what is such a short 38-game season. And I think the one other factor that we sometimes don't completely take into consideration, and this happens throughout sport, is that teams get used to winning and players get used to winning. And despite last season's heroics from Nigel Pearson and this squad towards the end of the season, this is a team, and many of the players and many of the people around this team have won in League One, they won the championship, and now they've won the Premier League. Andy King, he is a player now who has won in all three of those leagues with the same team. Amazing stuff, Rog. I love Bill. Yeah. And I'd agree if we were talking about March Madness, where yeah. a team has to go on a hot streak for six games. But 38 games over the course of nine months. It is a grueling marathon, David. Yeah. It is an epic journey. It's akin to Homer's Odyssey or Virgil's Aeneid. And the 5,000 to 1 odds are born of a truth which Leicester have shattered which is that money off the field predetermined success on it and they were playing in a league of oligarchs and shakes and American sports entrepreneurs and Leicester City were seen to have absolutely no chance not just to have no chance but to be relegation fodder and thinking this through Dave I keep coming back to the same five or six factors and we have to say the first is external for this Leicester City success and this is shocking. The big five teams, they all blinked at the same time. Just complacency at all levels, managerial, recruitment, tactical. And the credit to Leicester is that they exploited that opportunity. They seized it and then some fantastic scouting, eyeing bargains, building a squad like the A-team, making armoured personnel carrier out discarded bits that they found around the barn. Dirty dozen 
players with chips on their shoulders. They all peaked at the same time, which I see as a complete miracle. Schmeichel, Huth, Morgan, Simpson, Fuchs. I mean, when, when you looked at them in August, you didn't look at that bat line and say, that bat line will play lockdown football down the stretch and not concede for 572 yeah. minutes. Yeah. I don't think anybody was looking at their back line, Rog. I don't think anybody was really looking at their entire squad. I don't think anybody saw Riyad Mahrez coming. I don't think anybody saw Danny Drinkwater coming. I don't think anybody saw any part... I don't think anybody was talking about Kasper Schmeichel being one of the great Premier League goalkeepers. Up and down the pitch and all over. Ranieri was laughed at as a manager coming in. And not just by Chelsea fans, Rog. Ranieri was being laughed at by everybody, including Leicester City fans. And yet they were so good all season long at what they do, which he kept so simple. Three graces up front, Vardy, Mares, Kante, Seabiscuit and Cleats charging behind them. The ability to counter-attack ruthlessly, simply everyone knew what they were going to do. No one could stop them. The hallmark of champions. It was like watching Stockton and Malone pick and roll, overseen by your man, Ranieri. I mean, have you seen a character like that in the Premier League before? An avuncular genius with a light touch, so human, so wise, so wonderful, like a Gandolfian kind of hero. Yeah, I saw him for four seasons at Chelsea in the early 2000s, Rog. But it's just different perspective, time, different team, different age. It just changes everything. And let's face it, they purchased a few amazing players. They put together an amazing squad. That's not all Ranieri. He doesn't deserve all the credit for that. A lot of people at Leicester deserve credit uh, for putting together this team. Nigel Pearson deserves an incredible amount of credit, but somehow it all came together and Leicester City deserved the credit for that. I do marvel at what Ranieri did. I mean, he knew how to come in, take a team who were all loyal to Pearson, who departed dramatically. He was bold enough to make big tactical decisions, moving to four at the back instead of three, but he knew when to give his players total freedom. And mostly, he knew how to take the pressure off his talent and keep things light all the time. I loved this quote last night in the moment of victory. He said, emotion is at maximum level. I'm very happy now because maybe if I won this title at the beginning of my career, maybe I'd forget it. But now I'm an old man, I can feel it much better. I mean, here's a darling poet. But he also had luck, Dave. You always say luck is critical for any title run. They had so few injuries. And they also benefited that their sole focus was on the Premier League. City, Spurs, Arsenal had European challenges to contend to. But there's something unbelievable about they're it. They're also, Rods, they're going to win the Premier League with a lower goal difference than Tottenham Hotspur, almost certainly. I don't know how many times we've seen that in recent years because they won a lot of games by one goal. In that stretch when they made that tactical change from being free-scoring, free-shooters to just playing lockdown football and preventing the opponents from scoring. And, and that's what I don't understand, David, because they did all this with such a small squad. I mean, the same core with little rotation in the grind of the Premier League. And in December, we still didn't believe that Leicester City were going to do it. No one took it seriously. We all thought that the, the reality of the Premier League grind would wear them down. But towards the end of the season, they'd never seemed to tire. They, they played Southampton a couple of weeks ago. Southampton were a goal down. They needed to attack at the end of the game. They couldn't even get hold of the ball. Leicester just kept running and running to the final whistle in a way I've never seen them before. Other than Brady Anderson, who hit 16 home runs in 95, suddenly belted 50 home runs in 1996. And then I think went back to 18 afterwards when they, they cut out the doping. I've never seen such a transformation. Almost overnight and they may not have been the best champions ever the most dominant but they were consistent 
and their ability not to become emotionally exhausted, never mind physically and tactically, that was without peer. But I can't ask you, David. And they never whiffed. They never whiffed. And everyone around them, everyone around them, and ultimately Tottenham were the last team to whiff. Everyone around them whiffed. And what conclusion do we draw from it all? The big powers. Was it that they just became complacent and they'd been punished? Or, as you might say, there's so much money in English football now. So much that everyone going forward is going to be a threat. Well, I think there are two narratives now going on. There are two versions of this. One version is, oh, next season it'll be back to normal. It'll be the big five, the big six will be contending for the Premier League and the top four again and no one else will get a look in. And I think there's another strain of thought, which is that no teams have got an excuse anymore. Certainly, and this is natural as a supporter of one of the big five clubs, I found tiring the argument at the beginning of the season. Oh, yeah, you support one of the big teams. Nobody else has a chance. We never get there. I think that argument is done forever now. I don't think anybody can ever argue that. And I think the pressure is on the big teams to spend their money in a smarter way, work on team chemistry over individual buys and figure out how to motivate these star players to go and give performances. You know, Eden Hazard, like, honestly, honestly, he didn't suddenly become a bad player overnight. Eden Hazard is a fantastic footballer. Mourinho is not a bad Premier League manager. Mourinho is one of the best Premier League managers ever. Of all time. Demonstrably one of the best. He couldn't get a performance out of him. And this is what uh, teams are going to have to focus on. Next season, the big powers will all rearm. Pep, Conte, possibly Mourinho, all of them, except Arsenal. Uh, Not to be a downer, I will say this. Enjoy Leicester while you can. I mean, one of their big stars, possibly Mares, more probably Kante, will be plucked by a traditionally elite team. Leicester are going to have to open a second front, the Champions League, and perform twice a week, every week. And what's fascinating about their victory, they're 25 to 1 to repeat next season. Mm. They're 50 to 1 to be relegated next season. And to me, their greatest legacy, it's going to be threefold. They shattered, as you say, the long-cemented truth that money off the field directly correlates to Premier League success. And they also proved against all commonly held wisdom that good things can come out of casual racism and a tie gangbang. (laughs) (laughs) But you look at teams now like West Ham, Rog, like Southampton, like your beloved Everton, uh, and you just think, maybe, maybe... They can do the same thing next season. Which is the biggest takeaway because they've shown the world that a football team, A, can be beloved, can feel uplifting, and B, their accomplishments, they're going to make fans of every team in the Premier League. They're going to make fans of every team in every sport, Davo, believe. Not, yeah. not you, Cleveland Browns fans. At Dave Lopez, NE tweeted us, Cleveland City Council soon will authorise a billion-dollar dig of all parking lots in a desperate bid to recover misburied royal corpses. Yeah. And I think they're going to make the big teams and the big teams' fans be more critical of their own teams and their own administrations. I think we've already seen that at Arsenal. Oh, David, 5,000 to 1 odds come good. I'm going to put 10 bucks on the Dillon Panthers to win the Super Bowl Mm. next season. Last question for you. From at Raygun9, does the Hollywood ending of the Leicester City movie have them winning at Old Trafford or do they tell how it really happened? Yeah, it's tough. It's not the ending. I mean, this, this is, uh, despite obviously we are deflecting from the fact that we are the Premier League scriptwriters, uh, Rog, it is the ending was not quite the Hollywood ending you wanted for it to finish 
I mean, it's poetic, I suppose, somehow that Eden Hazard comes back and scores the goal that takes them in the former champions, <laughs> uh, end up crowning the new champions. Uh, but it wasn't quite... You wanted it to happen at the King Power, Rod. Yeah, knowing Hollywood as we do, David, they're going to shift the setting to Fenway Park. They'll remake the narrative as a Boston Red Sox story and they're going to have Jimmy Fallon star in the whole thing. You could make Jamie Vardy's party. It'd just be a slightly different scene. I feel like Weekend at Bernie's 3. Yeah. Oh, final thought on Leicester. Yeah. All the breakdowns. We've spoken to Leicester City players this season. They can't explain it. Claudio Ranieri has tried. Doesn't seem to capture the total. The only logical, rational explanation, David, it is a miracle that we've witnessed. Yeah. Like watching the Red Sea splitting, water turned into wine, or walking on water. Yeah, but it's also the reality of sports is that, you know, the game isn't over till it's, till it's played. And whatever form is, and however great you think your team is, however skillful, however superior you think your team is, you've actually got to go and beat the team put in front of you put against you on the field and I just love the way Leicester set up this year I love the way they played football and you know what their victory despite Chelsea's appalling season it just makes me love football even more without a doubt makes me love the Premier League even more okay Rog what other stories in the Premier League at Dan Ware shirts tweeted now comes the chase for the real trophy fourth place yes Rog it's a race for fourth place Arsenal in third 67 points Man City Uh, Just behind them with 64. Man United, a game in hand at 60 points, Rog. Arsenal, trouble is brewing. Arsenal, whose 1-0 victory over Norwich at the Emirates Saturday did little to quell the acrimony surrounding manager Arsene Wenger. The Arsene must stay lobby. It's getting smaller and smaller, Dave. Essentially just Gunnosaurus now. We saw a fan protest in the 12th minute. Time for a change, Banners. If you compare the protest, Dave, where would you put it on a scale with the Tiananmen Square and the March on Washington? Yeah, it wouldn't be that close to it. I feel that this is somehow Leicester-related. And I think it's just... I think Arsenal believe... Arsenal fans believe that they had the best team in the Premier League this year. And actually, I wouldn't disagree with them. I think in many ways, at times this season, Arsenal played the best football in the Premier League. And I think they're just frustrated. They're frustrated to see... That Ranieri comes in one season, he wins it. They've waited 12 years, they haven't won it. But there doesn't seem to be significant momentum behind this fan protest. And there's certainly no momentum in the boardroom, Rog. Ultimately, only half the protest about Wenger. He's just a figurehead to me. It's more about a club that seems content to coast into fourth and be eliminated in the round of 16 of the Champions League year after year, as long as they make lots and lots of money for Stan Kroenke. Well, that's the growing sense. I mean, there's not been title since 2004 because there is no serious will Mm. and the board for a title challenge. I like Pepsi or MasterCard, happy to come second or fourth. Okay, the Premier League moon door remains wide open. Newcastle, Sunderland and Norwich City all sit within two points of one another. Newcastle on 33, Sunderland on 32, Norwich on 31. But Sunderland and Norwich have a game in hand. Two of the three will join already relegated Villa in the championship next year. Newcastle have the momentum. A nervy-looking Sunderland have to face Chelsea, Everton and Watford and Norwich. They just don't look like scoring again. And it is amazing to see Rafa Benitez, who started the season at the Bernabeu, managing Ronaldo at Real Madrid. Mm, He's got Andros Townsend now. I know, he's coaxing miracles out of Andros at Newcastle and watching him. It's just another reminder, as if we needed it, the football is amazing. Another thing that's amazing about football, Davo. Welcome back, Burnley. Yeah. Who won promotion after one season mm. off NBCSN. 
Yeah. Back to the top flight, we welcome back Dave Fishwick, yes. minivan rental. We yeah. Welcome back the single most poetic I home think he venue. He sells them, he doesn't rent them. <laughs> He's very particular on that point. Oh, we're going to have to get him back on the pod. We welcome back the most poetic home venue in sports. It yeah. sounds like a Lord of the Rings place, but it's actually quite the opposite. Turf Moor. Yes. At Sporting Intel tweeted Burnley, now 5,000 to 1 to win the Premier League next season. Oh. Who'd ever bet? On such a ridiculous possibility. Uh, the party will be at Joey Barton's house, Rog. <laughs> OK, they won't be relegated, but the sky's even closer to the ground than usual at Goodison Park these days, Rog. I'm sorry. You visited Everton. I am sorry, Rog. I want you to win something. I want you to have the joy of winning something, That Rog. would deprive me of the joy of losing. <laughs> you visited Don't Everton take away my joy when of you were losing. in Liverpool last got. week. And you went to the FA Cup semi-final, Rog. I didn't. Oh. I gave away my ticket. For oh. fear of dooming my team by my own presence. Well, now you can go. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. Dark wings, dark words, David. Yeah. A derby day defenestration. No shots on target and field. The worst derby defeat in 34 years. It was like watching a cat play with a mouse. An athletic cat and a tired, shabby little mouse. Fat mouse. Brutal, searing way to prepare for the FA Cup semi-final. In which we had done... In the most heartbreaking fashion, a goal from Fellaini, the angry sunflower that I once loved. <laughs> a Lukaku penalty sunflower miss. Sunflower with elbows. He's not arsed Lukaku. anymore. Lukaku. The oh. Everton goal, the spilled Guinness, what the flicker of hope, Lukaku? and then only darkness. Yeah. And the end, a fantastic finish at the death by the young punisher, Martial. I felt nothing, David, as really? he charged forward and finished mm-hmm. ruthlessly. I knew it was coming. I dreamt about it. It was known. United didn't so much as win this game as Everton lost. And the whole game was just a reminder of how much I love Everton Football Club and how savagely cruel the game football can be. I worry about you so much when you disappear from Twitter. I get so many tweets. I wasn't watching the game, but I get so many tweets from people tweeting at me. It's like, just checking in. Have you heard from Rog? Because I've been following Twitter and we haven't heard from him for an hour and a half. It's hard to tweet when you're in the recovery (laughs) position, David. But Roberto Martinez, dark days for him. The eternal optimist. I mean, he's the anti-Rog. Cup half empty for me, half full always for you. But for Roberto, it is permanently overflowing. Less a cup. He looks at one grape and sees a vineyard's worth of production. And he's left in the lurch now. No decision made to his future, which is humiliating and a little unfair. The club's results have been underwhelming for two seasons. If he goes, his legacy will be a refashioned squad of players that he brought in. McCarthy, Besic, Jerry D and a ton of young potential, Matthew Pennington, Brendan Galloway, Tyus Browning, Luke Garbutt, some of whom will break through into what should be a potent squad for the right manager to harness. I must say, in his defence, I think some of those players, I think John Stone's got his head turned, Rog, and Chelsea obviously bear some responsibility for that. His play fell apart. I think Ross Barkley was not the player in the second half of the season that he was in the first half of the season. I think some of those injuries hurt. I think they missed uh, Gareth Barry in some key games, some key moments of the season. I think Lukaku also got his head turned towards the end of the season. Big games, those big moments, just like that FA Cup penalty when you just really want him to turn up. If you look at the stats, his goal scoring before and after he was on the Men in Blazers podcast. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Difficult, difficult times, Roger. Anyway, could be next season. Got the Capital One Cup to look forward We're to. We're going to win it all next season, mate. Yeah, we'll see. Why not us? Why not Everton? Uh, okay, Rog, you were also in Liverpool on a very poignant day for the city and football fans around the world. Last Tuesday, a jury found 
that 96 Liverpool fans who died in 1989's Hillsborough disaster were killed unlawfully and the victims of police errors. It's 27 <laughs> years, Rog, it took for justice for the 96. When the news broke, Dave, I was driving to Manchester and I had to pull off the road and just pull myself together. It's a day of tears and a searing memory of how this city and the Liverpoolians who live in it have all been demonised by the government, the media and the police. It's shocking to say that, but it's true. Colluding for over 27 years. I mean, it was a poignant day that I'll never forget. That afternoon, the bells of the city rang out 96 times to honour the deceased. And at night, the city's landmarks were bathed in red light and the names of the 96 who went to a football match and never returned were beamed upon them. I say as a child of the city and a man who loves football, it was humbling to be in the city at that time and remember the memory of the 96. Uh, Americans who are new to the game, they find it hard to understand how an event like this could even happen, David. The hooligan culture of football in the 80s, such a world away from the polished commercial Premier League current reality. But I can tell you, what was beautiful about the decision was how every English football fan celebrated it. I think this is something that affected all football fans, Rog. I mean, I know that this is caught up in a terrible mistreatment of the North by Westminster during the 1980s, during uh, Margaret Thatcher's government. Um, But I think all football fans were tarnished by the same brush by that government and by the authorities um, in the 70s and 80s. And I think all football fans felt this very deeply. Anybody who has crammed into a stadium. We've both done it. You stand in the terraces, you go through a tunnel that's too narrow, you're forced amongst too many people, you feel the heave of the crowd and you move with it. I think all of us can relate to the sheer terror these poor, poor people, these poor young people must have felt before just getting crushed to death. And it's just absolutely shocking what happened and it's just sickening that it took so long uh, for them to receive any kind of justice. Um, the, the journalism of David Conn of The Guardian is unbelievable if you want to understand and appreciate this tragedy in its true scale. For now, I'll just say Everton's tribute when news of the decision broke is absolutely beautiful and is incredibly right. Everton Football Club salutes the Hillsborough families and their total vindication as fighters for justice. Theirs is the greatest victory in the history of football. We'll never forget the memory of the 96 and at the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and a sweet silver song of a lark. Dave, I'm so moved by the last week. I am rooting for Liverpool Football Club against Villarreal in the Europa League semi-final this Thursday. Yeah. After I interviewed Jurgen Klopp, I went and watched the semi-final in a Liverpool bar. Villarreal won on a last gas goal. Yeah. The whole bar was just, the air was taken out of it. Mm. At the final whistle, Jurgen Klopp went up to the travelling fans, pumped his fists, and suddenly everyone just believed again. That man is like an away goal in human form. Okay, no Ravens today. They were all at Jamie Vardy's last night, still sleeping it off. Your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini USA. I think N'Golo Kante was driving that one, Rog. Norwich versus Man United at 7.45am Saturday on NBCSN. Leicester versus Everton, Rog. 12.30pm Saturday on Network NBC. I believe we'll see the Premier League trophy awarded at the end of that game. And Manchester City versus Arsenal. Big game, 11am Sunday on NBCSN. And in MLS. Both games on Sunday. LA Galaxy versus New England. 
3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN, and then DC United versus NYCFC, who won, Rog, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. The Men in Blazers Goal of the Season competition, <sighs> Rog, a reminder to vote in our Goal of the Season competition. The Hazard week, Goal. Yeah, on last week's... <laughs> the, yeah, that's a write-in. Could be a write-in. <laughs> on last week's The Men in Blazers show, we unfurled our 10 Goals of the Season nominees. A GFOP vote will decide the winner, which we will announce on the season finale of The Men in Blazers show Monday, May 16th. You can vote and view vote all of the goals by going to meninblazers.com. There are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items, big or small, just click off the Emporium page and Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you putting into the Emporium this week, Rog? A book. Hmm. I'm quite tickled, by the way, that Andrew Luck has launched the Andrew Luck Book Club. Oh, we love the Andrew Luck Book Club. Yeah, we joked when he was on our show that he, his passion for books was so infectious he should start it. Yeah. And he has. I know. I can't believe he listened. No one's ever taken us seriously Never. before, David. It's a first and a last. My Emporium choice yep. is a new Irving Welsh book, mm. The Blade Artist. Yeah. It's a sequel of sorts to Train Spotting. Follows my favourite character from that book, Begbie. Oh, I love Begbie. Into his unlikely late in life transformation, he becomes a conceptual artist in California. Hmm. A family death takes him back to Edinburgh. And he kind of gets sucked back into some of his old ways. It, mm. It's an odd book. It reminds me of my trips back to Liverpool. Hmm. But it's a little more sadistic. And I read it on the plane home. And, and the themes of how much a person is made by the place in which they came of age and the human capacity for transformation felt very, very apt. Rog, I'm putting in a pair of shoes I just purchased for George. My five-year-old, my son. He needed a new pair of shoes for his tennis and his golf getting into season here in the northeast and i said what do you want what kind of shoes do you want and he said oh, i want shoes just like yours dad I want some stan smiths i went look how cute these are the little three strap stan smiths they've got the blue back it's in chelsea blue leicester blue everton blue rog on the back the adidas kids original stan smith shoes he's a size 11 kids us they're little they're so cute they're over there in a box take a look at those you'll like those zippers um, and uh, he's very, very happy with them. We'll only be wearing them for tennis and golf. We'll not wear them to school. We'll not wear them anywhere else, just for tennis and golf use. Oh, he's very Five-year-old George. He's a future referee. And run DMC. Yeah. Well approved. Absolutely. You can now watch entire episodes of our crap TV show on NBC Sports Live Extra, Apple TV, and Roku. It's also up on our website, meninblazers.com. Also on meninblazers.com, a place to sign up for our newsletter, The Raven, which we produce with our partner, Guinness. We've got a Spotify account, men underscore in underscore blazers. Meninblazers.wikispaces.com forward slash a wonder of the modern world. Twitter, we're on that at Meninblazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at Meninblazers, at Embassy underscore Davies. We've got a Facebook also. We've got a subreddit, meninblazers.reddit.com, maintained by GFOPs, Akshay, Calvin, and Alex. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog, War Pig. Who wants to sex Matumbo? Explosion. Courage. Take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Rog. We have witnessed miracles together this week, Davo. Yeah. Love you too, mate. Yeah, let's work on your head fat. <laughs>